What is really fresh, my listeners? It's your boy Edwin coming back at you for another episode of the Kruger Dissection. And today I am joined by someone very, very special, someone I've been wanting on this podcast for quite some time now, and that is Mr. Draven Davidson. Say what's up, man. What's happening, everybody? How are you doing on this fine evening? Doing good. Just having a nice, lazy Sunday and, you know, working on some music, working on some video stuff, and just, you know, Trying to keep my quarantine on. Keep your quarantine on. That's what I like to hear. So for the listeners who don't know who you are, Draven, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do. Uh, So I'm a drummer, live drummer, touring drummer, studio drummer. Um, I'm also a lighting designer, production manager. So the main group I work for is a group out of Detroit called Twisted. And it's like a rap rock kind of thing, two rappers, and I'm up there playing drums, and then I also handle all their lighting and production stuff, so I program their whole light show, use Ableton Live, and uh, Chave Show Express, and everything's MIDI programmed, and you know I've got the whole show controlled back by me, so that's pretty cool, and then when I'm home, I also do some video editing, and the partnership I'm in, it's called The Danger Within. Um, it's me and my buddy Jared Farrell, who I was in Davey Suicide with. And we've just been doing a lot of songwriting for people and kind of trying to make a one-stop shop where if you need help with graphic design, social media content, you want to collaborate on a beat or on a song, you can come to us and we can kind of handle everything from start to finish for you. So that's kind of a new thing we've been rolling out. We wrote a bunch of songs for Twisted. We wrote stuff for Davey Suicide. Um, he's worked with a bunch of other people so that's kind of the newest thing is the danger within sweet sweet so currently you are working with twisted but uh what are some bands or uh projects that you've worked on in the past uh so i played drums for a metal band called static x for a while uh i did wayne's solo album and then when he got static x back together i was a part of that i played for a group called jenna tortures which is kind of a industrial rock band out of florida I uh, played for Davy Suicide, which is kind of a goth rock band out of L.A. Uh, right now I play for Twisted. And I played in some other, you know, just kind of local L.A. bands and stuff. I lived in L.A. for seven years, and that's kind of where I got started touring. Uh, a band called Blacklist Union. Uh, a band called Confederacy of Horsepower. I'm, I forget all the bands I've been in, honestly. <laughs> but, it's been a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I've been touring pretty hard since about 2007, so... You've definitely had your fair share of experiences. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. I've got to tour all over the world and crisscrossed the states more times than I can remember. So it's awesome. I've been very lucky to have a, a really fun career so far. And with that fun career, like what's been like some of your favorite places to visit? Um, I always have, there's a place in Houston called the Scout Bar, um, which is a really fun venue. The staff is really awesome. And you know, it seems like we're normally through there maybe twice a year. So, you know, over the years, I just, you become really good friends with some of these staff people. You start to see these venue people over and over again. And, you know, we'll have cookouts after the shows and, you know, drinks will be flowing and just, it's cool stuff. You know, there are people that'll hit me up when they come into Vegas that I've, you know, been through their venue and stuff. And it's just, it's cool getting to make friends all over the country. Um, House of Blues in Chicago is really fun. Um, 
the key club when they were still around in LA was a lot of fun. Um, there's a place called Peabody's up in Cleveland. That's always a lot of fun. So it's, it's cool. There's so many cool venues across the country. You know, some of the corporate ones are fun, like your house of blues or knitting factories. And then there's, you know, a lot of independent ones that I'm worried aren't going to be around when all this pandemic stuff is done. I'm really hoping these guys can survive. Yeah. It really sucks. It's just, hearing and seeing all these like small local businesses that like big in like you know the city just struggle so much because you know like the whole economic thing with COVID is just it's not good yeah and I just you know I feel bad for these venues I mean these guys put their heart and soul and you know their entire life into these venues and to see them just get pretty much pulled out from under them in a couple months is just so crazy to me and now you're seeing you know, Live Nation's posting numbers of their revenues down 98%. You know, that's 98? Just, yeah, because, I mean, they can't do anything. <laughs> you know, their, their entire business is shut down. And it's just, they're such a huge corporate monster. It's just crazy to see them have 98% revenue loss. It was just insane. So seeing a huge corporation like that struggle this much, like, you just, you have to think, how can, how can the little guy survive? So it's it's scary times. It really is. And like other than obviously like worrying about like the small businesses, the small venues, how has quarantine been going on for you? Because here in Vegas, it's been like five, six months, however yeah. long at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird because normally I'm a touring guy. I'm normally on the road six, nine months out of the year, it seems like. Um I was planning on taking off this spring anyway, because I just had a baby. Uh, so I've got a little six-month-old baby girl now. And so it was just kind of weird I just to have a baby and then go into this lockdown and, you know, talking to the manager at Twisted. And, you know, is there going to be a fall tour? Is there going to be anything in the summer? And just one by one stuff getting canceled. And when I'm home in Vegas, I work for a couple different production companies. And, you know, I'll work for the conventions, doing AV and IT work, setting up lighting rigs or setting up conferences. I work on the strip a lot in the different casinos and then a couple different venues just doing stagehand work. And it's uh, so like the Pearl inside the Palms I work at a lot and just everything shut down overnight. It was crazy. You know, I had stuff on the books and just got the call. Vegas is shutting down. Everything's done. All the conventions canceled, all the gigs dried up. And, you know, everyone I know just became very unemployed unemployed very quick which is scary you know most of us are just you know trying to get by everybody's got families everyone's trying to make rent and all of a sudden everything's just done you know everyone was struggling to get unemployment as a gig worker um it was a whole different process i i thought i had it lined up and mine i just got an email the other day that mine got denied so i got to start calling on monday and try to talk to somebody so i mean it's just it's really scary times for people i've got crew buddies that are like, man, do you know anybody hiring? I'm about to try and work at McDonald's or Walmart and just anything, you know, it's, it's crazy. A lot of guys that have been building their skills for years and now it's just, there's no work. So it's, it's scary. And then it just makes you think like once this whole COVID dies down, like whether like just like positive cases stop coming or we find a cure, then it's like, when things start picking back up, you know, is, is it ever going to be like the same? How long is it going to take? You know, how is, how's it going to be when everything goes back to quote unquote normal? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to take a long time. I've been reading articles that, 
you know, full-blown concerts and stuff, you, we might not even see till end of 21, maybe 22. Um, you know, one of the articles I was reading is a, a big part of it when it all kind of comes back on is going to be insurance for these venues and how that's going to work because, you know, you go to a show and you get sick the way the world is today. You want to sue somebody. You want someone to take care of your medical bills. So how are, how are these venues going to cover insurance for COVID and for sickness, you know, and there's just no model for that yet. And a lot of these venues are already tapped out paying liability insurance as it is. And now you're going to add on this extra. So premiums are going to go up. Capacity is going down. You know, any bands I know that we're trying to do shows, it's, you know, you're going into a thousand cap room and you're trying to put maybe 250, 500 people in there. Just the economics of it don't work, you know, because the bands are still going to want to make what they make playing a thousand cap room, but you can only fit a certain amount of people. So the promoters can't make their money. The bar can't make the money. The merch sales aren't going to be what they were. So it's just, it's, it's going to, I think it's going to take a long time to get back to normal. You know, I think there'll be a surge when it all turns back on, people are going to want to go to shows, but then if people start getting sick again, it's all going to shut right back down. So as a national touring band, it's such a huge financial risk. You know, you, you front a lot of money getting merchandise and production and tour bus rentals. And I know Live Nation changed their whole contract to where they're not really giving as big a deposit anymore or they're doing a lot more door deals. So when you're a national band with a lot of weekly overhead, you're paying crew members, you're paying band members, you're paying bus drivers and bus companies to be going out with no deposits and possibly more door deals is a really scary, scary thing. And it's you know, it's going to really expose a lot of bands. And I don't know, I don't know if a lot of bands will be able to do it, you know, just financially, they're not going to be able to tour. So, you know, I think of bands like Seven Dust and some of those guys that just tour all year round every year. And that's how they make their money. You know, it's how they support their families. And all those guys are just sitting at home. So I don't know who's going to have to get day jobs. And, you know, I think a lot of band lineups are going to change when it's all said and done. So guys that were surviving just touring year round, they're going to have to figure something else out. And who knows if they're going to be able to go back to playing music, you know, financially, they might not be able to. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of band band lineup changes happen as well. Damn. I didn't even think about a, a good amount of that stuff with yeah. like the insurance, the capacity. You, oh, okay, you really know like everything in and out of shows and music and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, as a production manager and, you know, I always work closely with the managers and the tour managers and, you know, I'm on the advances when you, you know, you're emailing a venue that, hey, we're coming in in a couple of weeks. Here's the text, the text, technical stuff that we need, you know, seeing the contracts and stuff. So, you know, all that stuff is so up in the air right now. You know, when you think of Live Nation corporate venues doing door deals for national acts, that's crazy. You know, a band that might be used to be getting a five thousand, ten thousand dollar guarantee and getting half that money up front. They're not getting any of that money up front. Who knows what the door deal is going to be, you know, because the promoters assuming you're going to pack the place. The band's assuming you're going to pack the place. So, you know, their merch numbers, you cut bands merch numbers in half or, you know, to a third because you can only get so many people in there. The bar's not making money. Promoters not making money. You know, and it's the same with restaurants like in Vegas. You get these restaurants on the strip that can only do a quarter capacity. 
you know, those are restaurants that survive by having a wait list, you know, packed tables sold out all night, every night. That's how they survive. I mean, rent on the strip is expensive. Real estate is expensive. So you get these restaurants that can only, you know, hold a quarter of the people. I just, I don't understand how the economics work of it. And a lot of restaurants are closing. A lot of businesses are closing. Venues are closing. So it's, it's crazy. Damn, you're right. You're <laughs> right. With all of it, even with the, the restaurants. Yeah, it all, you know, it all ties into entertainment. You know, a lot of these places have DJs. A lot of these places have bands or, you know, some kind of entertainment in them. And, you know, it's not worth them doing that. So can't afford it. Yeah. So much risk. You know, I've got a lot of, I've got friends that play in some of the cover bands on Fremont or just, you know, a lot of the lounges and the, in the casinos where they're not huge gigs, but you know, you're just there for background entertainment. You get the crowd going and get people drinking and all those gigs are kind of dried up right now. A couple of them pop up here and there. You know, I see some people playing, but it's few and far between. I don't know what's going on on Fremont. I haven't been down there in a long time. But, you know, I used to love going down to Fremont and just having a couple beers, watching cover bands. You know, just kind of tool around the casinos. That was our our weekend fun. So just seeing all and you know, those Fremont bands get booked for the quarter. You know, they play every night for three to four months. And that's that's their income, you know, that's their job. So seeing that kind of stuff dry up, I don't know what those guys are doing right now. I feel bad for everybody. It's sad and it's very scary. Yeah. To move on to a less, you know, depressing topic. Yeah. Sorry to you, sorry to almost out right there at the beginning, but <laughs> Nah, you're good. You're good. You know, uh just get the bad just right 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 in the front. Yeah. But uh you mentioned that you just recently had a daughter. Yes. How is it like being a father? Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, you know, you're never fully ready for it, I guess. You know, they say you're never fully ready and it's different than I thought it was going to be. And especially us being home, you know, both me and my wife full time, you know, with her, it's great because I get to see her so much every day. I thought I'd, you know, be home for a couple months and then I have to go right back on the road. So, you know, for me, the whole lockdown was a little bit of a blessing financially it's stressful but for the family it's been amazing and just you know the first time you make her laugh and giggle and stuff it's just it's the craziest feeling it really is it's it's cool I, I never I was never thought of myself as being a dad or you know being someone to have kids just because I travel so much in my lifestyle but you know having her has definitely brought a whole new level of joy to my life that's for sure well, I'm glad to hear that fatherhood is going well and it's enjoyable for you. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. She cracks us up every day. Like she's starting to sit up and crawl a little bit and, you know, stand up a little bit and stuff. So just seeing seeing her learn something new every day and just figure out something new, you know, if it's a toy or she found her foot the other day and now she chews on her foot all the time, you know, just like the littlest things just blow your mind because the day before she couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's it's so cool watching this little human grow. It's, it's amazing. I've never been around kids that much. So it's cool for me. <laughs> awesome, man. I mean, personally, I really don't know what fatherhood. I'm like, I'm barely 16. Yeah, you're I'm even 16. I'm 15. Don't um, worry about it yet, my friend. Take I time. know, not yet. So <laughs> I, I, I can't relate, but I'm sure, you know, maybe some dads out there are listening or maybe just people are just like, oh, that's sweet. But I'm happy for you, man. Yeah. No, I mean, it took us a long time. I'm I'm 35 and just had a kid, so 
take your time, my friend. No rush. <laughs> it take is, your time. It is, it's never too late. Yeah, it is a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. And, you know, now I'm like, oh, shit, now I have to, like, raise a productive human being and teacher. It's crazy. It's a lot to think about. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad that's going good. I just want to move on to the next topic, uh, which is obviously you were saying you're very involved um, behind the scenes with music, but also you play drums and for Twisted and for several bands in the past. But I'm curious, how did you like first start playing drums? How did that, you know, a realization that you enjoyed it ended up becoming like your job, basically? So, I mean, I got... I started playing drums in probably like fifth grade, sixth grade. And it was just, you know, my parents listened to a lot of oldies. My parents were a little bit older. You know, my mom didn't have me until she was 40. So they listened to a lot of like 50s and 60s pop music and rock music and, you know, stuff from like the Forrest Gump soundtrack is what I always say. Um, So that's kind of what I grew up on. And then I've got a brother who's 10 years older than me and he was really into the Chicago industrial scene and the Cleveland industrial scene. So I had this like oldies music and this crazy like Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and Revolting Cocks and all this crazy music. And then, you know, I was kind of a grunge kid and a new metal kid. So like all those influences were kind of there. And I just, when I was younger, I just started kind of hearing the drums in the music I was listening to. You know, I could kind of hear like the different, the different kit pieces. I could hear the kick drum and snare drum and kind of hear what was going on a bit. And so I started asking my parents if I could play drums. And they said I had to take two years of piano first. So I mean, I guess maybe, it was, maybe I was even younger. So maybe it was like third grade, I kind of started getting into music. And then they said I had to take two years of piano. And so I took lessons from this like 90 year old lady from church. And I hated it. Oh, I hated it so much. <laughs> like it was just boring. I just wanted to play drums. But I got through it. And, uh, you know, learn to read music a bit and just learn note names and, you know, time signatures and note values and stuff. So looking back at it now, I am really glad they made me take piano first. Um, and now I wish I would have stuck with it more because now I'm trying to write piano parts and guitar parts and stuff and kind of write more music stuff, not just play drums. And so I find myself going back to some of uh, like my original piano books, just the very simple stuff and just kind of getting my fingers working again. And then like fifth or sixth grade, I got a drum kit for Christmas and it was just all, I was off to the races from there on and just kind of, I was mainly self-taught. I would just put on records and just play along. I'd play along to Offspring and ACDC and Aerosmith and uh, Pearl Jam. And then, you know, got into the new metal stuff and it was like Static X and Korn and, Deftones and all that kind of stuff. Um, and played in some different school bands. Like, you know, I played in the jazz band for a while. I played in the show choir one year. And just, you know, I would kind of take any gig I could to do something different. You know, like playing with the show choir, they had to dance to whatever tempo I played at. You know, so if I was rushing it and you saw these poor kids trying to dance their ass off, it was kind of funny. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, that was the first time I, I really got to play like big band music, like playing with a horn section and stuff. And so it was cool, you know, like a lot of cool experiences. And, you know, when you don't have to just play one style of music, you know, and it turned out the the guitar player and bass player from the show choir band were these kind of like pot smoking burnout kids. And like we formed a little side band and we would just play like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Deftones and Weezer 
on the breaks and we would come in early and stay late and just jam in the rehearsal room and you know, like you know all the kids would take a break and we would just go start playing hash pipe by weezer or something or start playing a deftone song at full volume and the director was like quiet quiet shut up shut up <laughs> so you know we like formed a rock band out of the show choir band and stuff so it was it's cool like you never know where your path's going to take you or you know musically who you're going to meet and connect with so you know don't be afraid to to try different bands and try different styles of music you know so i would i remember buying like a, a squirrel nut zippers record because i wanted to learn to play more swing music and then i'd buy a deftones record to you know kind of hear the more metal stuff or you know iron maiden or something so it was it was cool just being able to play whatever i wanted to learn i would just I'd get a record by that band and just sit at home and just figure it out. So, I mean, I've, I've had a few drum instructors here and there, but it was just always me just kind of sitting at home, you know, with the record and just trying to figure it out. So, and then, uh, out of high school, I was playing in a band and got a chance. We opened up for a band from LA and then I ended up, seeing on myspace i think at the time that they were looking for a drummer and a bass player so i hit him up i was like hey man i'm i just played with you guys in ohio um i don't know if you remember me he's like oh yeah i remember your band you guys were cool um yeah why don't you fly out and try out and ended up flying out to la for three days got hired flew back to ohio um quit my job i had an internship i was in college quit school told my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife that hey i'm going to la in like two days and let's try and figure this out and flew back and slept on the singer's couch for a month got a place we met a record started touring and just kept jumping to new bands you know one band would kind of fizzle out and i jumped to a new band and kept doing bigger tours and getting in bigger bands so it was just kind of a a slow process you know i tour with a band meet new guys hear about a new gig move on to the next one and just kind of kept working up. Eventually I got into static X, which was, you know, a huge deal for me. Cause I, I listened to those guys growing up. So getting to play with them was awesome. And we were doing huge shows and big festivals. So it was a lot of fun. And then kind of got into the production side of things. I just, I've always loved huge productions like Rob Zombie and Manson and Rammstein. So I was like, how can I do that with my little baby bands? And just started like building lighting rigs and programming lights. And, you know, I've gone out touring just as a lighting designer. And then I ended up playing drums and doing lights and bands and playing for, I play band, I play drums in the opening band on a tour and then do lights for the headliner, or, you know, do double duty on tour, triple duty. So just always trying to learn and work and just keep hustling basically. <laughs> so it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. Kind of get that bag. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned briefly how you quit your internship you quit school for the la band mm -hmm. is that something you had to think about or was it just you know something like this is what i've always wanted to do this is my opportunity if i don't take it now i'm never gonna get it again yeah i mean i i'd always wanted to be a touring drummer like i i don't like the studio that much to me it's just it's meticulous it's boring i hate it it's very final, you know, like you record something and, you know, drums are always the first thing to track. So once you're done, you're done. They take down the mics and they move on. And then, you know, you always hear stuff later that you want to change or that, you know, you don't like now and it's kind of too late. So I kind of have a very love-hate relationship with the studio, but I've always loved live. I love playing in front of people. I love the energy. 
So like, that's always been my thing. You know, I saw Tommy Lee do his 360 drum kit when I was younger and I was like, Oh, you can do that playing drums. That's amazing. So, you know, taking that, I was like, I wanted to be a drummer, but I was just in a local band. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. So I was in a local band there and I almost went to school in Nashville for music business but I just decided to stay in Ohio and keep trying to work my band, you know, thinking we'd be big rock stars. And then I was just doing business. I was in the business program at the college and, you know, interning. My dad used to work for this corporate place called Speedway. They run all the gas station chains in the Midwest. So I was interning there, you know, just kind of working, gigging on the weekend and school and internship and stuff. And then this chance came up and luckily I've got, amazing supportive parents and i just told them i was like look i'll i'll get my degree one day i'll figure it out but like i gotta i gotta do this i gotta take the chance and they they helped me out they helped me move to la and you know my dad was very old school so he a four-year degree was very important to him so i was like dad i promise i'll finish i'll get a bachelor's degree at some point but you know, they were scared, you know, their baby was moving to big, scary Los Angeles, but they supported me. And, you know, it was just one of those, I had to do it. And when I got, when I got the gig with the band, it's like, all right, cool. You know, so I'm, I got to fly home. Like, you know, you need to be back in like a month or, you know, when, when should I be back? And the singer's like, honestly, I don't want you to go home because we're going to start tracking a record like next week and we need you here. So as soon as you can. So, I mean, I think I was literally back in LA like three days later. So it was, it was crazy. It happened so quick. I was just kind of just on for the ride. So I think if I had more time to think about it, I might've got scared or something, but I think it just happened so quick and it was so exciting. I was like, well, I might be back in Ohio in a month. I don't know, but I got to at least say I tried and I tried and just kept working and kept, you know, building the, building the resume and working with people and, you know, kind of started to pay off and I was able to actually make a living as a musician and that was amazing i was very lucky a lot of guys aren't that lucky so i got very fortunate and have you ever gone back to school to get your degree or is that still in the works uh yeah so i mean i actually ended up getting an entertainment business degree from full sale out of orlando um, i was able to do their online program so i had a bunch of business credits that transferred and i was on tour most of the time i was finishing up my bachelor's so yeah i've got a bachelor's degree in entertainment business so that made my dad very happy and I wouldn't say I've used it too much, but I can, I always laugh. I'm like, yeah, I can understand the contracts that are fucking me a little bit better. I can't do anything about them, but I can at least understand where I'm getting fucked a little bit better. So, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I mean, I'm glad I did it. It was cool. I was on tour in Europe for some of it doing classes. So it was a cool program. You know, I definitely learned a lot from it, but I didn't go work for a label or anything like that after I graduated. I just, I was busy touring, but you know, I promised my dad I'd do it. And I, it was important for me to get it done for him. It's nice to know where, you know, you're, you're getting screwed over in contracts. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, you know, as a musician, the labels and management have all the power. So there's normally not much you can do about it, but at least I was able to read some stuff and, you know, on a couple bands contracts, I'm like, look, I was like, guys, this is ridiculous. This is in here we got to get that changed and stuff. So, I mean, I was able to help out some stuff and just learning. I, I like some of the behind the scenes stuff. I've never really wanted to be a manager or anything, but I like knowing and being involved in as much of the process as possible. And just, you know, as a musician or an artist or a band, like you got to be 
educated. You got to know what you're signing. You got to know what these percentages mean and, you know, what a record advance really means. And a lot of bands don't know that. They just sign anything you put in front of them. They don't know. They don't know any of the business, but it is the music business. You know, unfortunately, you got to you got to have some business savvy. Otherwise, you'll get taken advantage of. I know so many guys that have been robbed of millions of dollars, you know, by managers and accountants and record labels. And it's a it's a dirty business. And, you know, no one's going to watch out for you other than yourself. So you got to be careful. Wise words. Yeah. You mentioned how you, uh, you know, you uh, climbed the ranks of bands and stuff and ended up working with Static X and most importantly, Wayne Static. Yep. How did all of that come to be? And uh, also RIP Wayne Static. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a weird thing. Like, So the original band I moved to LA for was called Blacklist Union. And the singer was a nutcase and really hard to work with. And I mean, I was with him a couple years. And I think we went through like 30 to 40 different members in the couple Jesus years. Just every tour was a new guitar player. Every week was a new bass player. Like, it was just crazy. He was impossible to work with. I hung in there as long as I could. Um, but I went on, and I was playing with a different band, and I got a call from him, like, hey, man, we got this tour coming up. I know you can't do it, but the drummer can't fly in until, like, the first gig, so could you come, and I'll pay you just to rehearse with the band and get the rest of the band tight. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And he had a guitar player at the time named Ashes, and, you know, we played together. I never played a show with him. I just rehearsed with him a few times. Well, we hit it off, and you know, kind of stayed in touch here and there. And then he was friends with Wayne. Him and his wife were friends with Wayne and his wife. And they used to house sit for Wayne and, you know, barbecue and hang out. So when Wayne was putting together a solo band, he called Ashes to play guitar and kind of help him put his band together. And Ashes called me and a couple other guys. So I auditioned and, uh, you know, beat out a couple other guys. And that's kind of how I got the gig was just from going back and rehearsing with an old band you know, because it was always important to me to leave a band on good terms. Like, it's not cool to just abandon a band or just, you know, talk a bunch of trash about them when you leave. Like, I always tried to be business conscious because it's a small world. When you start touring, you know, at that kind of mid-level, everybody knows each other. You know, everybody's been in a band with somebody else. So you start burning bridges and you get a reputation as an asshole. You're not going to get gigs. So, you know, even though... I had my issues with the singer for Blacklist. I still left on good terms. You know, I gave him notice. I'm like, hey, man, it's a couple months before the next tour. I got this other gig coming up. I hope you find a replacement, you know, do whatever I can, but I'm out. So, you know, leaving with honor and in a, a respectable business way is important, too, I think. You know, how you handle yourself coming into a band and leaving a band says a lot about you. And will get spread around the business. Like, oh, dude, that guy's an asshole. You know, we've had guys leave the night before tour, quit, say they're not going to go on the tour. And that's that's affecting my money. That's affecting my family. You know, you're trying to get it to where we have to cancel this tour. That's not cool. You know, or a guy leaving the middle of a tour because he just couldn't hack it or was, you know, upset about something. I'm like, dude, you can't just quit in the middle of a tour. That's That's devastating for a band. So, you know, it was always important. So just me handling that situation well i met ashes you know was professional he's like dude you're a solid drummer you, you're really pro you came in and really knew your stuff have you ever heard of wayne static i was like oh fuck yeah <laughs> you know like i got static x on all my old burn napster cds so like yeah i know static x is and uh 
you know, he was put out a, a solo record because Static X had kind of broken up at the time and uh, toured on that. I didn't play on any of his records. I was just a touring guy. But then uh, he got the Static X name back and he's like, you know, I, I want you to still be a part of it. I want you to play drums still. I was like, hell yeah. So, you know, got to go out of Static X for a while, do a lot of really cool shows. So it was, it was awesome. You know, like I said, I was, I was a fan of Static X, a big fan. So getting to play those songs with Wayne and, you know, I used to call him old tall hair. So getting, you know, to sit behind old tall hair and, you know, hear him sing it every night and see how he works and stuff. It was, it was really cool. That was, you know, the biggest gig I'd had at the time. So it was a big deal. And just curious question, uh, did Wayne wear his hair like that, like all the time? Yeah, pretty much. Like, cause once he spiked it up, it just kind of stayed. He'd been doing it for so long. Like, he'd wear a hat every once in a while, but it would just kind of, like, pop right back up. And all he ever used was a hairdryer and hairspray. Like, it was nothing crazy. He just, his hair just did it. <laughs> like, it was weird. Damn. But, yeah, I mean, he was, he was a really good guy. I wasn't, I had left the band maybe six months before. You know, it was, like, a couple tours before he passed that I I quit because it was just, there was a lot of internal issues and a lot of stuff going on. And I just... I had that little voice in my head that said, it's time to go. And then uh, I was on tour with Davey Suicide when we got the call that he'd passed. So, yeah, it was really sad. You know, we, we kind of all knew we'd get that phone call one day that he would probably OD at some point. But it was still really sad to get that call. So, don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that, losing a friend. It's hard. So. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I've, I've lost a few over the years and it's never easy man a lot of really really talented guys a lot of really creative people that just taken too soon so it's it's sad but a lot of it you know it's the choices they made no one to blame but themselves so it's sad but it's a, it's a tough business man it, it it grinds on you a lot of guys handle it in different ways and a lot of guys don't handle it in good ways so it's easy to get your head twisted around and get into get into a dark place and when it comes to you, what are some methods you use to, you know, deal with the stress and, you know, deal with all like the workload you have to do? Because you do a lot. Yeah, I like to me, it just kind of helps keep me out of trouble, you know, like having to always like, you know, even when I'm playing in a band, even when I've had a drum tech and stuff, like I still want to be there for load in. I still just want to be a part of all of it and just, you know. I know some guys that can just sit on the bus for like 23 hours a day and just come out, play the show, go right back. And I just, I can't do it. I go insane if I'm stuck on the bus too much. So like, I've always got to go walk around the city a little bit or, you know, go to a bar after the show, have a beer, you know, you meet some people at the show, go have a beer somewhere else and just, you know, decompress. But I honestly, like the drums are my therapy. So like, I, I, I have a harder time being home for long periods of time, you know, like, going out and getting to play these shows and just get all that aggression and like I'm a I guess I'm more of an angry person than I let on but like I just being able to let all that out every night is the therapy you know and you still you know you have your drinks and stuff like that and some cities party more than others or you know people in different cities so you know some nights are crazier than others but I've always tried to look at it as a job you know I'm and a lot of times I've been kind of a hired gun for a long time where, you know, it's not my band to just do whatever I want. Like I'm here to play drums every night, to play the album as the singer wants it or wherever the artist, you know, I'm here to play it right. I'm not here to be drunk and be sloppy and be an asshole. Like I'm here, I'm hired to do a job, 
you know, some people don't see it that way. But when I got into more kind of doing hired gun stuff and getting hired by these bands, you got to take it seriously and respect the music. You know, these people are paying hard earned money to come see you every night. So you got to give them a great show every night. You don't get to have an off night. You don't get to be sick. And, you know, I just, I always wanted to learn more. I'm always learning, you know, how to edit video or edit pictures or, you know, how to program different stuff and how to program lighting and how to work with electronics. And I don't know, it was just, my dad was always kind of like that. Just always trying to pick up a new project and we do woodworking stuff at home or, you know, I, I learned, we got a welding kit and I watched some YouTube videos and just, I welded these lighting carts for twisted and we took those on the road. And, you know, so like just being able, I get a crazy idea in my head. I'm like, all right, well, I got to figure out how to do it. So it just kind of helps me, helps me keep moving just to always be learning new stuff and, you know, kind of jack of all trades kind of thing. Like I'm not a great video editor, but like I edit a lot of the tour blogs for bands I'd be in or like, you know, edit promo videos or edit a live video. Like I film for a few nights and edit a live video. So, you know, I kind of directed and filmed some of Davy Suicide's videos and edited those together. And it was all low budget stuff. We were just DIY doing it ourselves, but you know, Davey does a lot of cool graphic design, but he didn't know how to do video. I'm like, well, I'll learn how to do video. And, you know, now we're putting out videos. So it just kind of came from necessity, you know? So it's just, it's a way to keep productive every day too. Like I, for me, it's, it's good to have a deadline. Like, Hey, we're, you know, we're trying to put this video out in a week. Okay, cool. Let me work on it. You know, as opposed to just fiddling around every day. I've never loved just practicing drums by myself. Like I love jamming with guys, you know, getting a case of beer and you go in a studio and you just play a blues riff all night or play a rock beat or, you know, play some metal stuff. Like I love that. And it's the camaraderie. So just, you know, after being in bands and playing with guys, just sitting here, even if you know, I'll put on a YouTube video, like I'll put on a Rob Zombie concert and just play along to it, but it's just not, it's just not the same. <laughs> you know, it almost depresses me more being home and just practicing by myself. So, you know, I pick up some of the other stuff to keep me moving and keep me busy when I can't be on tour as much. Yeah, I, I feel that and uh, I relate to that. Just the, the feeling that you just always, you know, you just want to do something. You just want to, you, you want to learn new stuff or you just want to experience new things or just be involved in something just to keep your mind busy. Yeah, and just, you know, the music business has just changed over the years and, you know, the budgets aren't as big, guys aren't getting paid as much. So I just kind of took a step back. I'm like, there's a lot of amazing drummers out there. You know, you got kids coming out of Musicians Institute in LA and guys coming out of Nashville and just, you know, there's always some prodigy, you know, some nine-year-old kid I see at a NAMM show that just blows my drumming out of the water. So I'm like, you know, to me, you always have to add value to yourself and make yourself more marketable. So, you know, for me now, it's like, hey, yeah, I can play drums for you and I can program your light show and I can do your, your tour videos. You know, so if you hire me, pay me more because I can do these extra things. So you might not have to bring a lighting guy on the road because I'll do it and I'll play. You know, so it's just adding value to yourself is how I kind of kept getting better gigs and meeting new people. It wasn't just I, I was never content just being a drummer. You know, I wanted to be more than that. I wanted to know how the backing tracks worked. I wanted to know how the lighting worked and how the audio worked. So, you know, I can run monitors. I can set up lights. I can play drums. I can do video. Like, it's just 
for me, it was always just adding value to myself to get me a better gig, you know? And the whole time, obviously, striving to be a better drummer, you're still a musician first, but, you know, so many touring guys and touring jobs are getting combined now, you know? You might not have two or three guitar techs. There might be one guitar tech handling all the guitars and basses, you know, or one stage guy that just kind of handles all the backline gear. You know, I've got a buddy who kind of does that. He sets up all the instruments for the bands he tours with. He's just, he's the backline guy and the tech kind of for everybody because budgets are smaller. So, I mean, he gets paid well, but it, since he can do all of it, it's one less guy you got to pay on the road, one less per diem, one less bunk, one less hotel room. So, you know, as the business was kind of shrinking a little bit in a way and a lot more kind of DIY stuff was coming out, I was just like, all right, I've got to figure out this stuff so I can keep getting gigs. You know, it's just kind of out of necessity, I felt. So, but I love it. And, it, you know, being able to learn the lighting stuff, it got me good jobs here in Vegas when I'm home, working for the conventions and, you know, doing AV and IT stuff. So, it. It just, it all helped evolve. And I, I think I'm a better musician because of it. I think I'm a better touring guy because of it. I'm a better production guy because of it. So it all, it all helps. And now, you know, trying to write more music with me and Jared, trying to learn guitar, learn bass, and, you know, get back to the piano a little bit to write, to help write songs and help, you know, I'll have a riff in my head and I can't get it out. And I was like, all right, I got to learn how to play guitar then. You know, and I'm not a great guitar player, but I can strum some chords and, you know, chug on some power chords. So I can at least get my ideas out to where someone else can make it better. You know, Jared's a great guitar player, keyboard player. So if I can at least get the rhythm out to him, get the chord progression, hum it, you know, demo it and get it to him. Then then we can make it into something bigger and, you know, get that sound out of my head. But I didn't want to just play drums on people's records, you know. Because honestly, there's not that much money in just drums. You know, a lot of times if you're just writing a drum part, you don't get publishing money, you don't get writing credit. So I wanted to figure out how can I get my piece of the pie? You know, I want to be able to be a songwriter and producer, not just drums. So that's where it all, all stems from. Just kind of always keep learning and keep trying to do different stuff and different music styles and you know, I just bought this lighting kit for camera work with a green screen backdrop and stuff. I'm like, I'll try to figure out how to work with green screen and maybe I'll make some fun kooky videos. I don't know. <laughs> so, always a new project. Always a new project. Always, once again, I gotta get that bread. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really what it is. It's man, adapt or die. You know, I know a lot of guys doing podcast stuff now. Me and Jared are talking about doing it, and you know, social media is so important now and creating content and creating good content. You know, like it's not that expensive to get a decent camera and get some lights and, you know, not just film with your iPhone. But at the same time, the iPhones are shooting in like 4K now. So like even iPhone footage looks great. So it's it's crazy. Like, you know, you, there's no excuse not to be able to put out good content as an artist. And you have so many avenues to put it out and so many websites and social media is like you really have to strive to put out good content to stand out, you know, so that's where me and Jared are just trying to figure out how can we, you know, fit into this space and how can we help bands that, you know, have a vision, but they just can't achieve it. You know, cause I've been in a lot of bands, the singer, you know, writes great music, but that's it. You know, he can't, 
you can't design a t-shirt. You can't design it. So you have to outsource all that. And that costs you money. It costs you time. I think it always sacrifices your vision a little bit. You know, sometimes it's good to have an outside perspective, but you know, a lot of the bands I've worked with have had very, very specific visions and the singers have a, you know, a very specific way they want things to look and sound. So if you can't do that yourself, you know, you're not, you're not going to get a hundred percent of what you want. So like Davey designed all the merch, he, he does clothing and stuff. So he made our stage costumes and outfits. So, you know, we, he designed the look of the band from top to bottom, you know, and that was, that was cool. It was a very DIY band. We could do everything internally. You know, we were recording ourselves. We were, might send it out to get mixed and mastered just to have a, a better ear, you know, and better equipment. But, you know, we recorded everything ourselves, shot our own videos, made our own clothes, did our own merch design, you know, our own stage setups. So it's, it's important these days to be able to do, you know, a little bit of everything if you want to make it and you want to stand out, in my opinion. Very smart. Very, very smart. And uh, just one question before we move on to the next topic. Um, have you listened to the new Static X record? I did. I did listen to it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got mixed feelings about the whole project, you know, moving forward with zero air quotes. You know, I know they're trying to say it was in honor of Wayne and stuff, but I just I know some of the behind the scenes stuff. So I'm it sounds good. It's a good sounding record. It sounds like a Static X record. You know, I know Wayne, most of the demos were going to be his next solo record or the next Static X record if he put it out. So, you know, it sounds good. You know, those guys, Tony and Koichi and Ken J are awesome musicians. Like, you can't deny when those guys with Wayne and they made music together, they made great records. So, you know, I know they're, they're playing good shows. Their tour was a big success. And, you know, I think they're going to try and keep it going. So, you know, I was just kind of a touring guy. I was a hired gun for Static X. So, I mean, I have no say or no right to how they're doing things or what they're doing. But I think, you know, the new record sounds good. The stage show looked really good on the last tour. Um, it's just tough because I, you know, I knew Wayne. I wish he was there. So it's kind of hard for me to listen to or to, to watch. But it's just because, and it, you know, Wayne was my boss. It's not like we were best friends or anything. And he kind of had his own thing with his wife and the rest of the band and crew hung out. But he was a really, he was a really cool guy. He was a really sweet guy. He took good care of us. And, you know, it's sad he's not, it's sad they couldn't get Static X back together with him and the original guys when he was alive. So, bittersweet, bittersweet. R.I.P. Wayne, once again. Yeah, very talented dude. So it's sad he's gone. So obviously you've been touring for seven years like uh, seven-ish years what you said uh i mean i started in 2007 that's so why i got confused there yeah. we go 2007 yeah so i mean well over a decade <laughs> well, well over a decade obviously it could be with any band with a you know recent shows of twisted static davy or uh, several others you've played with but uh, what's like just some like good like show stories or tour stories that you could tell us Oh, man. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, it's it's weird. There's a lot of, like, w with Static, we did the House of Blues in Chicago, and it was sold out. And I used to live in Chicago when I was younger, so I've always loved that city. And just, you know, House of Blues, they're, they're good-sized venues. 
and you know going in you know it was kind of moving up to like that headliner band with static and selling out a place that size was just an awesome feeling like i don't know i just i'll always remember that show for some reason just that venue that show that yeah, was just you know a magical time for me um there was i was with jenna tortures over in europe and we did download festival and i got to see like rage against the machine they had reunited at the time and uh it was like acdc was friday night so like we drove all night to get there to see acdc because that was our singer's favorite band and then uh i remember since we we had a tour bus all through europe but this was like our last show so we went down to a van just to come over into the uk and do download so we didn't have a bus so we ended up having i think we were on like the third stage we weren't on one of the main stages but we ended up with a dressing room backstage with all the main stage bands so it was like you know i was seeing the guys from acdc backstage and i remember i went into the bathroom and i was going up it's like a trailer you know with these bathrooms in it i'm walking up the steps not paying attention, I bump into this guy. And he's like, oh, sorry, mate. I look up, and it was Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. And I was like, oh, my God. I might have Tony Iommi's piss on me right now. That's amazing. Like, <laughs> what you walk in? You know, like, so it was just, that was always a cool thing to me, getting to play festivals, and you get to hang out with all these different guys and, you know, bands you might never see or tour with, but everyone's backstage or at catering, just hanging out. Um, we did... Uh, with Twisted, I did the final cross-country warp tour two years ago, and our bus broke down one night, and um, now I'm forgetting the band. Uh, uh, so our bus broke down, so we kind of had to scatter, and me and the merch guy got put on this band, Chase Atlantic. We got put on their bus, and I'd never met him before. I didn't know who they were, but their manager was talking to our manager, like, oh, yeah, we can take a couple of you guys. And we always tow an SUV behind our bus so the guys can go around and do whatever they want and get their hotel rooms. So, like, the two singers, the manager, and the security guy jumped in the SUV, and they were driving show to show for, like, four shows, which is brutal, because all the drives on Warp Tour are, like, 12-hour drives. So it's ridiculously long drives. And me and the bass player jump on this Chase Atlantic bus, and they're these young kids, you know, coming up, big following, and... But it's kind of this weird, uh, to me, it's weird, like, kind of pop, techno, rock, you know, they've got a saxophone player sometimes, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird kind of European sounding, you know, trendy music to me. And I'm asleep, and I wake up, and I'm like, what is that sound? And I hear a saxophone, it was like the first night, you know, I woke up, we got on the bus in the middle of the night, I think they were already asleep, and the next morning, the saxophone player's like warming up, just walking through Bunk Alley. And I kind of stick my head out. I'm like, yep, that's a guy with a saxophone. Where the fuck am I right now? <laughs> and I got up. I'm like, hey, guys, how's it going? I'm from Twisted. You're, I'm just catching a ride with you guys. So, you know, it was a cool camaraderie, just helping out all the bands. You know, it's such a family vibe on Warp Tour. And then just, like I said, I was not expecting to have a saxophone wake me up at like 10 in the morning. <laughs> so that was pretty trippy. Was it good saxophone playing? Yeah, he's a beast. He's such a great sax. Like they're they're really talented musicians. It was crazy. Like he's just like shredding on the sax, doing these scales and warming up. And I'm like, who is blaring saxophone music right now? And I look out and it's this dude just walking around the bus playing a saxophone. I'm like, all right, rock on. So uh, that was cool. I got to see Joan Jett and the Blackhearts on Warp Tour. That was pretty special. They did like one show, and I told my the manager, I'm like, I don't know because your time slot's different every day on Warp Tour, so you never know when you're gonna play. 
And I was like, I don't care what we have to do. I'm going to see Joan Jet. Like, I might not be able to load out the truck. I'm just telling you now. Like, if, and she ended up playing like right after us. So I literally like threw my sticks into the crowd, ran down the ramp, and just ran straight over to her stage to see Joan Jet. Cause I just, I think she's amazing. And I was like, sorry guys, I'm skipping loadout. You guys deal with it. I'll see you guys in a bit. <laughs> just ran over and watched Joan Jet and got to meet her. I got to like say hi to her. She's walking by. She's like, oh, how's it going? So that was pretty cool. But I mean, there's been so many awesome shows. You know, it's, I can't keep track of all of them, but you know, a lot of the moments are, a lot of the rememberable moments for me are afterwards, you know, hanging out, like I said, bumping into someone backstage or, you know, on Warp Tour, there was always these barbecues every night. So you go down, and you're just playing flip cup with bands and playing cornhole, which is like a bat. Yeah, you're throwing bean bags. And, you know, me and the guys from Every Time I Die, Real Big Fish, and we're just playing cornhole. And, you know, it's just guys you never thought you'd meet, never thought you'd get to hang out with. And it's just such a chill vibe. You're just backstage, you know, having a barbecue. We brought a, a Nintendo Wii and a projector screen. So we set up like this huge projector screen and had Wii bowling every night at our bus. So that became a thing. Like, we just challenged bands. Like, we're undefeated. Come try and challenge Twisted. And, like, the guys from Unearth would come by, and we'd kick their ass in Wii Bowling, and they get all pissed off. And then, <laughs> you know, Real Big Fish would come over, and they try and bowl with us. So it was just – it was such a cool vibe and so many different bands. And just that camaraderie was cool. You don't get that on every tour. So it was, it was a really cool vibe here on Warp Tour. David Davidson, undefeated Wii Bowling champion. Come get some. Come get some. Awesome, man. Well, um, before we leave, is there um, anything else you want to mention? Where could people find the social medias and all the projects you're currently in? Where could people find that stuff online? Uh, yeah, so I mean, Draven Davidson, D-R-A-Y-V-E-N, Davidson, like Harley Davidson. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all that fun stuff. Um, I'm always posting new stuff. Uh, the Danger Within also has some social media, so check out The Danger Within Music. Uh, we're posting new stuff every week and all the stuff we're putting up is songs that we have for sale and beats we have for sale. So, you know, if you're looking for help with a project, whether it's recording or graphic design or social media stuff, check out what we're doing. Hit us up. We'd love to work with new people. Um, Twisted, official Twisted is their Instagram and tweet me so hard is their Twitter. So they've always got, I mean, they're putting out stuff all the time. We're working on a new rock, a new rock record for them. Um, I don't, I don't know when it's going to be coming out. They're working on a rap record right now, and then we're going to do like a full rock record. So I'll be heavily involved in that coming out later this year. And that's kind of the main stuff. So yeah, Danger Within, Draven Davidson, Twisted. Check it out. Drop me a line and say hi. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. It was really fun. It was really nice to uh, catch up with you. Yeah, man. Good talking to you. And I'll see you around Vegas, my friend. See you around Vegas. And thank you, the listener, for listening to this episode of the Kruger Dissection. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review to stay up to date with future episodes. You can find my social media as well as Draven's social media in the podcast description below. My name is Edwin, and I will see you guys next time. Deuces. Deuces.